After all the time and energy we're putting into planting blueberries, we certainly hope the deer will not get them. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze. Beginners learning subsistence farming using three simple principles. Approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it. And we don't make allness statements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian. And welcome to our podcast of February the 25th, 2010. We are the proud owners of six additional blueberry bushes that we will plant in the next few days, I guess. Right. We uh, might have mentioned last week that we'd planted, we'd already planted two Tiff Blues, two Climax, two Premier, and yesterday we went to George Brown's farm, uh, uh, farm Oak Choi Blueberry Farm, and we purchased three new Tiff Blues, a, um, a Climax, a Premier, and a Brightwell. We had mentioned, I think, that we'd like to get some Centurion, and he didn't have any this year, but he's saying next year he will have some, some plants, new plants available. So we're going to save a spot. Uh, well, we'll have 12 this year, so we'll, we're going to work our way up to 20, which is what George seems to think we'll need if we want to be able to share blueberries with the birds, who inevitably will feast on them, and still have enough for ourselves and maybe to give away some. So, um, you know, we're thinking... We'll have room for eight new trees next year and possibly all of them Centurion. Okay. So we'll, your expectation is when we start adding the additional trees, they're likely to be Centurion. Right, or a good many of them so that we can stretch out the season a bit because they're more of a late season. Is Those my blueberries are planted immediately south of the pole barn. And we did that for a reason. We said blueberries need full sun. And you had understood from your blueberry workshop that they love a south-facing hillside. And this is a south-facing hillside, which we can virtually guarantee will stay in full sun because the barn will intervene to make sure that trees don't grow up there. Right. So we expect those blueberries will have full sun for their life. And um, we've we got out with our little electronic measuring things we call the measuring twins yesterday and I think we determined that we have room to fit 14 more blueberries in a line um, and maybe 19 and then no, we have to well, add think, one at the yeah, other Yeah well or, either way we have room for 20 that will be in a straight line and the good news if we decide to do drip irrigation which now we're sort of leaning toward doing of the blueberries is that we just run one strip of drip, drip tape that full length. That full length. So that simplifies that as well. And the reason that we're uh, thinking that it will be a simple task to do drip irrigation there is that that could hardly be any closer to our water source. Right. The water uh, terminates right there on the south side of the pole barn. So all you really need to do is trench across the little circular driveway that runs around the pole barn, and you're there. So Yeah. So we're hoping we can do that, and our friend George was showing us how he had done his drip irrigation, and um, it just seems to make sense uh, because he, we found out how much, when they're fruiting, how much water blueberries like. He said they like up to three gallons a day per Which plant. sounds like an awful lot of water. But he puts, he at least gives his a one gallon per day. Yeah. 
per plant when during fruiting season. It does, but when you think about how juicy the berries are, you know, you can see they, they like water. But I'm going to step in and say George has hundreds of blueberry bushes that have not been irrigated in years, and they seem to be doing fine. Right, the re- and the reason for that, he said that those drip lines broke. And, of course, last summer was an extremely wet summer. Yeah, you so, can't count last yeah, summer, but yeah. you can certainly count the summer before right, that, which right. was a drought. Right, so, you know, we'll see. But at, at any rate, we do want to be prepared in case we have a drought summer not to lose our 20 blueberries. At blue, bu- and not to, trees. not to lose even one year's crop. We right. Wanna, right. We'd like to do that. Yeah, so you don't get too worried about losing the bush in a drought, but you do get concerned about losing a crop. Right. Would you like to? We. I like blueberries. I don't want to miss out on any crops. Let's talk a little bit about pruning blueberries. We learned a lot from George yesterday about that. Right. Well, just that you don't want to let the. Um, weeds grow up amongst the various no, little that's true. um and and if once that gets out of control you have a lot more work to do it in amongst the um it's hard to describe the the different the little trunkies. trunks that come up yeah <laughs> um in a blueberry bush but he also showed me the height that the main trunk needs to be before branch outs begin now, is I, that the understanding? I heard it as saying the height that each individual little right. trunky gets to, okay. needs okay. to be. Okay, before it starts to branch out, right. So I did prune some back last week as I planted them, but I may not have done it exactly right. So we'll do that. We'll let you know how, right. it, how it goes this week. And we had a nice conversation about when one should prune because mm-hmm. you're saying, well, let's wait another a uh, few months, and I'm saying, okay, you can wait, but all you're doing is diverting energy into canes that you're going to be cutting off. Right. So that the whole Better idea of pruning is, if you know it's doomed, go ahead and snip it now and um, let the bush channel its energy into canes you know you really are going to nurture and protect. Right. And the other thing is when the, the plant gets larger and has had a has begun producing, then you wait until August to do your pruning for that year that was helpful to know okay that's the time to prune blueberries not in the winter time but uh, as soon as they finished bearing in august that's when you're going to do your heavy pruning so we decided that we really need to just do that form a discipline of doing that every august so that the it doesn't get out of hand mm-hmm. um so anyway and and he had pruned quite a few of uh, george had pruned quite a few of his trees back since i was there last um, July. I might, might not have mentioned the way I found out about George was... Um, Actually from Charles and Sylvia. Yes, my cousin our cousins, Charles and his wife Sylvia. Who told us that he had a blueberry farm and that they had gone picking there and liked it. So Adrian, our announcer, and I went and picked and just it was a thoroughly satisfactory experience. Wonderful blueberries, nice crop, and what was interesting is some of the trees really were very tall, had gotten very tall, and He's done a good bit of, George has done, done a good bit of pruning since then. I guess he did it last August. And he showed us how tall they should be when we finish pruning. And it comes up to about my belly button. That's pretty low. Right. Lower than you and I would have expected. But his point is, if you trim it to that point, then after you get the season's growth, it'll still be low enough so that a person can reach in and pick all the berries easily. That's right. So, you know, we, we, we learned a lot, and we just can't wait to put it all into practice. So what are we going to do with all those berries, my dear? Oh, I know what to do with those. I, 
I freeze them or routinely. Or is that counting your chickens before they hatch? I think it is. But the ones that I pick every year, we freeze. And uh, throughout the year, we enjoy them making blueberry muffins or if you just want to cu- put a couple of blueberries on your cereal. or And I suppose if we had a bumper crop, I could learn to make blueberry jam. Maybe blueberry wine. Yeah. Now, do we still, how many uh, bags of blueberries do we have left from mm. yours and Adrian's picking? A Pretty good, good many. Bit, yeah. Yeah. We... Well, um, speaking as a lover of blueberry muffins, and let us not forget blueberry cobbler, I think that it's only good stewardship for us to put those blueberries to work here in the wintertime. The, the frozen ones, right. Okay. Well, we'll I'll take that under advisement. <laughs> Well, what else have we been doing around the farm? Uh, Gapping vines. I went on a rampage yesterday afternoon. I was taking a nap. I I have figured out that the nice way to take a nap when you're juniing around in the apartment is in the wintertime is to park one of the cars in the sunshine, and I can have my quiet time. So I was parked out in the sunshine um, taking my nap, and when I woke up, I looked and saw all these vines ahead of me over um, just a little east of the barn orchard, between the barn orchard and the east orchard, and I said, oh, I need to cut those couple of vines. Well, you know how that works. I grabbed the lopping shears and went out there, and an hour and a half later, I had just went on it. I had gone on a tear and uh, just cut, 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 cut. What we do with these vines uh, and we've learned this works fairly well to keep them under control. The, you've got these big vines. They're about the diameter of your wrist. Muscadines. They're wild muscadines. And, and other species other probably. Species, but yeah. we are certainly aware of the wild muscadines. And we can cut them with the lopping shears, or I can. It's kind of hard for you to. But well, I can, some of them I can cut, yeah. yeah. Um, so what we do is we cut them off at the ground, and then we cut them off as high up off the ground as we can, leaving that big gap. And that gap helps us to spot what vines may still remain. And we try to cut that gap all the way around a tree so that everything that's then in the tree will die. And then you come back a year later or six months right. later, and the vine has died, and or I come back, and we can just pull it out with our hands right, at that point. Right, And it frees the tree up to develop, uh, to spread out more, develop, and and, yeah. and be healthy. And you had um, a grand vision of yourself. You said, I'm not Johnny Appleseed, but... Uh, well, I just thought about the song of um, about Abraham, Martin, and John freeing people. I thought, well, we'll be known, hopefully, for freeing a lot of trees. Because and you, you really do get that feeling. That feeling. Yeah. You're freeing these trees. Give me your tired, your huddled, your gnarled branches yearning <laughs> to breathe free, and I will clip those damn vines so that <laughs> the tree can grow again. Yeah, um, and, and these are trees that are right around the orchard and our planting area, and we do want them to be nice, healthy trees uh, that will provide shade in the summer and uh, you know, habitat for birds, so... Um, the, some of these poor trees have had enough health issues because of the loggers coming in. So they need to have every benefit of the doubt going for them. So we're trying to help them out. And that's just one of those many things that we're doing around here. Right. We do, unfortunately, have a lot of vines, so it's, it's a challenge. I wanted to just mention a little issue that I'm having uh, related to the steel that we use here in the barn. 
And I mentioned this for the purpose or, or for the benefit of those who may be considering using steel for barn construction. It's a great material. It's working wonderfully. We're really glad we did it. This is not saying you shouldn't use steel, but you should be aware that steel really gets in the way of cell phone signals. Um, our cell phone tower is somewhere to the south of us. We know that because the signal's always better on the south side of the building than the north side. My shop, where I have uh, Alabama Family Law Center, my legal office set up, is on the north side of the barn. So it's separated from that tower by not one but two layers of steel. We can get behind one layer of steel or behind glass, and our cell phone reception is great. But by the time it gets through two thicknesses of the steel, I cannot depend on a good cell phone conversation in my office. And that's not good. We've got to keep working and figure out a solution there. So I mentioned that uh, just so you are aware that that issue is, is something you need to think about if you're depending on cell phones right. in a steel building. Yes, and since we don't have a landline, we are definitely dep dependent upon cell phones. Exactly. So. That's how I conduct my business is on my cell phone. So I've got to figure out a way to have reliable cell phone reception vir virtually throughout the barn area. Uh, I've got to be able to, to know that it will work wherever I go around here. Another thing we had wanted to talk about was a, a routine that we've begun developing now that we've finally had uh, some sunny days you know, it seemed that for the winter, we just had a lot, so much wet weather, uh, and not to mention cold weather, uh, that we couldn't do this. But it's been sunny lately, so we have started cooking in our solar oven. And it's and really boy, been is that fun. fun. It really is. It's, it's great to have your supper halfway cooked, or most of the way cooked, um, but by the time you need it. But we, we've successfully had, and I, the, to me, the most dramatic example was, of course, I'm not cooking huge quantities. It's just enough for us to have, and maybe there's a little leftover. But uh, the other day, when it was good and sunny, I put out some Brussels sprouts, just raw, fresh br Brussels sprouts in um, the sun oven at about 1.45 in the afternoon. And by 4, they were cooked by 4 o'clock. And ready to eat. And ready to eat. Um, I, we don't use a lot of seasoning on our vegetables. No. So unseasoned Brussels sprouts taste great to us. But I think that later you did toss those with some olive oil and garlic powder or something. And, I yeah. guess you're right. And I probably really did good. do that. Yeah. But then um, we also successfully cooked some cabbage. Um, and see, did I cook corn in there? I'm trying to think. Or, yeah. yeah. So yeah. we've done well with those things. The, the, the day that it did not, we, we learned something from this, it did not work well, was I think Sunday afternoon. It was warm, but it was hazy. It was and a hazy was, sun. And that hazy sun just didn't do much cooking mm -hmm. at all. No, we put a couple of sweet potatoes and some spinach in there and it didn't now I should say you much. didn't. We didn't put it out there until probably one one fifteen or okay. so. Okay. Yeah, plenty of time though. But this has been a nice discovery that on a sunny day you don't have to cook throughout the middle of the day. Somehow I had it in my mind that if you didn't get the food out there by eleven or eleven thirty, you really were not going to get much cooking done, and that is not the case. Probably if you were cooking meat or something that you really needed to get. Or these sweet potatoes we're right. talking about cooking. We're going to cook them tomorrow. We'll probably need to cook them all day, you know, like through the middle of the day, because they need right. a lot of cooking. Right. But, something, but the veggies yeah. you're cooking, leafy. Tender, leafy veggies, not yeah. so much. Not yeah, so, so much. 
So it's kind of a it's a nice discovery for us. Yeah, and, uh, and what we've discovered, we eat early, or fairly early supper. Yeah, uh, generally by six or six fifteen, mm-hmm. or maybe six thirty. Especially We're, this time of the year when the days right, are not when it's getting cold and yeah dark. <laughs> and, uh, but generally, we'll um, put something in the sun oven on a sunny day, maybe at one thirty or one forty five. And it just stays in the sun oven until nearly supper time. Right. So it, it And works. we take it out, and it's still warm enough in there so that we don't have to do a lot of reheating for it to be ready to eat. So anyway, and now we've gotten the mentality that when I wake up and it's sunny, I say, this is a great solar cooking day. We don't want to waste this sun. This is just perfect. Yeah, so, I, was, I loved hearing you say that, that this morning because as we've discussed, that's part of the mentality that works for cooking with a solar oven. It's not what, you know, what do we want to have for supper tonight and how can we cook it? It is, oh, this is a beautiful sunny day. What can we cook in the solar oven? Right, which is just about anything probably. Um, so anyway, well, uh, you made a discovery this week about the wood stove too, didn't you? The damper. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry to sound so ignorant, but I knew all about the damper, but figured it would affect uh, affect the burning efficiency of the stove, so I've been avoiding using it at all. And what we've discovered is it really is handy. The way I discovered it was a little scary. I had a really hot fire going in the stove one morning while you were still sleeping, and I was sitting here working on my computer, and I looked up outside the window and saw sparks coming out of the chimney. And I said, that cannot be good. So I looked, I searched around for some way to calm the fire down, and the damper was the obvious candidate. Well, I closed the damper down, and what we discovered is it really helps to prolong the fire. And I did some reading online about the way wood stoves work, and in particular about the way ours, the Regency F1100, works. They're designed to be used with the damper. The damper works fine. The only thing to keep in mind with the damper is that um, it will cause the glass to cloud up if you uh, leave it burning in a dampened mode for very long. So that was an interesting um Revelation, really, yeah. and we might be able to use less wood that way during a winter time. <laughs> yeah, well, it we're already looks pretty as efficient. if we're on track to use less than a cord and a half for the entire burning season, and that all starts, of course, with living in a very small living space. Right, right. that does has worked out well. Well, gee, we're out of time, and we didn't get a chance to talk about Veg Hill, so we'll have an update on that for next week. Right, along with the fact that we. Hope to actually get started on the deer fence this week. And we're getting ready to be separated for a while. You're going to head to Los Angeles to see our children. Next and I'm week. going to be alone at the farm. And I am not looking forward to that. But we'll have another podcast before that happens. So stay tuned. That's true. And I'm going to a shiitake mushroom workshop. So we'll talk some about that. Next yes. Week and well. I don't get to go to that because I have a family commitment uh, baby shower to go to on Sunday, so I'm having to miss the shiitake mushroom workshop, but um, I am looking forward to our putting that knowledge into practice. I love shiitake mushrooms. Me too. Hope you have a good week. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. We'd love to hear from you. 
You can call the farm at 334-625-8682, send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com, or you can send us honest-to-goodness mail at P.O. Box 780446, Tallahassee, Alabama 36078. To browse our archive, to learn more about the farm and about Lee and Amanda, and to talk with other listeners, visit us at longleafbreeze.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.